one of the great skills and strengths that we have as researchers is, you know, we're deep thinkers. We've got analytical minds and they are fantastic skills to bring to bear when we're trying to get under the skin of, you know, a particular customer issue for our clients or our stakeholders. But that skill turned a bit too much inwardly can lead to uh, more of a tendency to ruminate on, you know, past mistakes or things that have gone wrong or, you know, worry about things that are going to happen in the future where you want to present yourself well and, you know, are questioning whether your view of yourself is going to live up to that reality that you'd like to present. And I think those, those kind of thought patterns can become imposter worries over time. Hello and welcome, or hopefully welcome back, to the Soapbox podcast, uh, the podcast that gives you an insight into the people that do insight best. I'm Rich, I'm joined as ever by Tilly, and on our 12th episode, we spoke to Lara Meyer, who is a researcher turned coach, committed to supporting leaders in the insights industry fulfill their potential. She's also a motivational speaker and an independent research consultant. So, of course, we spoke to her about all of that. We spoke to her about growing up in Sandhurst, about working with her mum and dad as a kid in their estate agency business. We talked about salt and vinegar crisps. We talked about imposter syndrome. Uh, we talked about destroying the careers of, of poor young <laughs> interns. What else did we talk about, Tilly? Salt and vinegar crisps came up a couple of times, didn't they? The stronger, the better. Folding leaflets, the importance of learning all aspects of a business. Not being afraid to put your hand up and, and get involved in, in finding out what you're passionate about when it comes to embarking on your career. We spoke about eggs, cooking eggs just right. And you, you kindly... Uh, I've got some top tips for yeah. your kitchen utensils. You won't have them, I promise. You'll want them. It's a great episode. We hope you enjoy it. How did you end up in insights and in the research industry? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was quite a carefully chosen path. You know, I started off having just a fascination in human behavior and studied psychology. And there was a big research component in the final year of my degree. And I just loved kind of thinking about how I was going to structure the project and gathering my data and then kind of making sense of it all at the end. And that was what really inspired me to think, oh, are there any jobs where I can do stuff that's a bit like this? Um, and a quick trip to the university careers service later and market research was kind of top on the, on the list for me. And so it was, yeah, quite a, a direct path straight out of my degree into, into research arguably one of the few people that doesn't say well I kind of fell into it yeah I think you're actually one of our first guests Lara that has given that answer everyone else has seemed to just fallen into it haven't they yeah so give us a brief rundown Lara of your career so far then please so you know that was kind of where it began that interest in understanding why people do what they do and I started out at um, what was then TNS world panel 
in their graduate scheme. And part of the allure for me for working somewhere like that, TNS was a, a big global company. I had big ambitions to want to go and work in other countries in the world, doing research in different places. And that was kind of my launch pad. So I started off in, in the head office in London. And then a couple of years later, was able to take an opportunity to go and work in their Dublin office. So I spent a couple of years living in Ireland, had great crack uh, <laughs> over in Dublin in my early 20s. And, you know, stayed with TNS for quite a long time, but in a variety of different roles, coming back to London, then later moving to New York for a couple of years as well, all with work. A bit later on in my career, you know, I'd spent a long time agency side and, you know, living out my dreams of getting to see some of the world and decided that I wanted a different challenge and, and moved client side. So I spent few years at, at Microsoft, uh, because by that point, I'd started to specialize in the technology sector. So Microsoft was a, a brilliant home for me for a couple of years before kind of landing up in Hive, the smart home company, kind of doing research and insights for them as they were really starting to scale and, and expand the business. And that was a really exciting time and bringing me up to where I am today, where I've actually now moved into working for myself. So I work as an independent research consultant and also as a coach for leaders in the industry. So um, yeah, I feel like I've covered off agency side, client side, now self-employed, uh, a few different countries in there. I now live in Bahrain, but that's because of my husband's job, not mine. Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey over the past nearly 20 years. Every time I say that, I'm like, oh, my God, how, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about um, what it is you do as a coach, Lara, please? Yeah, as a coach, I support leaders within the insights industry, really helping them and their teams fulfill their potential. And so as I've started out doing this kind of work, I've been building up a private coaching practice, mostly with senior women in the industry, often working on things like the tools to deal with imposter syndrome, growing confidence. But I'm also starting now to work more broadly with businesses and, and organizations um, so that I can spread that impact uh, more widely in the industry. So it could be working with leaders who want to support people in their teams or you know, increasingly kind of going into companies and doing talks and workshops or, or training, that kind of thing as well. You recently presented a webinar on imposter syndrome for the AQR, which was brilliant, by the way, I, I attended that. Why do you think it's such a, a common feeling, particularly in the, in the research and insights industry? Well, thank you for attending, first of all, and the kind words. I think, first of all, it's important to say that imposter syndrome isn't something that only affects people within our industry. You know, from, from all the research that I've reviewed, it consistently finds between sort of 70 and 80 percent of people claim to have experienced imposter feelings at some point in their careers. So it, it kind of comes and goes. But for researchers in particular, I do think there are a couple of things that really can amplify it. One of the great 
skills and strengths that we have as researchers is, you know, we're deep thinkers. We've got analytical minds and they are fantastic skills to bring to bear when we're trying to get under the skin of, you know, a particular customer issue for our clients or our stakeholders. But that skill turned a bit too much inwardly can lead to uh, more of a tendency to ruminate on, you know, past mistakes or things that have gone wrong or, you know, worry about things that are going to happen in the future where you want to present yourself well and, you know, are questioning whether your view of yourself is going to live up to that reality that you'd like to present. And I think those, those kind of thought patterns can become imposter worries over time. And I think particularly for those of us in kind of client facing roles, as I always have been, you know, there's this added dynamic of constantly having to put yourself at the front of the room, so to speak. You're the expert because you're the one who's there to present those research findings. And um, often when you're the one who's done the research, you even know that there's many things that you could not or the research did not cover. So you haven't got the answers to everything, but you're kind of often being expected to be the one that does. And that can put a lot of pressure on someone to to kind of live up to those high expectations, which I think is another component of where some of those worries can start to manifest, particularly for people in our profession. And I'd ask you, how do we overcome imposter syndrome? But I assume that's behind quite a hefty paywall. <laughs> uh, no, it's not behind a hefty paywall at all. Anyone, in fact, can go to my website. And if they go to the speaker section, they can find the recording of me delivering that talk that I did for the AQR. It's the Quirks version, but the content's the same. And it walks through a few more of the insights around imposter syndrome overall, why I believe it impacts women's careers more negatively than men's, although anyone can have those imposter feelings. It's not exclusive to one gender or another. And it also gives my five best strategies for anyone to start to employ to try and overcome imposter feelings. So all of that is there and available. Of course, if you want to work with me privately one-to-one on it, then yes, there is a paywall for that. But the five tips are are really just, you know, learning to overcome your own negative self-talk, putting more focus on your strengths and leaning into those, preventing pleasing and perfectionism, because those are, you know, two characteristic behaviors of imposter syndrome, and articulating your accomplishments. And having a really bold vision for your future, because that actually helps you take risks and stretch yourself in ways that can challenge those imposter feelings. So mm-hmm. that's the one minute rundown of the <laughs> of the talk as well. If you do look at those five kind of pillars, those five sort of angles for a solution and they don't work for you, I'm sorry, you are an imposter. <laughs> and you really maybe need to leave the industry. <laughs> forever yeah sorry about that (laughs) if you didn't get into research and and insights Lara what do you think you might have done instead oh you know what that's such a good question so for a long time I was so tempted by joining the police force Ah. Um, I really wanted yeah I wanted to be a detective Um, and I think you know there's kind of some parallels between the 
the thinking and the the skills that you need to have in both careers. Um, but you know what? Ultimately, I just I knew I was a bit too much of a scaredy cat to go down that police route. Would it have been the in the Met as well? Do you think if you if you were to most likely, yeah. So I I think I I knew myself quite well that you know I can be a bit of a sensitive flower at times, and you know dealing with some of the more brutal realities of yeah. police work, I I realised quite quickly probably wouldn't be that well suited to me as much as I would love the kind of, you know, unpicking the who done it kind yeah. of side of things. I think it probably is easier to advise Asda on how to communicate their value proposition than it is <laughs> find a murderer and, and, and the evidence attached to that. One of those things I think I can shut the door on at night and, and others perhaps less so. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I can sleep easier if I've, you know, said, oh, you should stock salt and vinegar rather than cheese and onion. You know? mm. What about your first job, Lara? So my first job, actually, I started when I was really young. I was probably about 10 years old and my parents had just started their own estate agency business. And so they were having to promote themselves a lot and they had lots of flyers that they would put through doors. So my very first job was actually folding their leaflets. So I would sit there for hours <laughs> manually folding these things, got paid an absolute pittance. But then, you know, good old uh, good training at work. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing training because then after that, I went on to deliver the leaflets. And then I started working in the office doing some admin. And then eventually I was kind of in the front office dealing with people who wanted to rent or buy properties from as young as about 16 so I had some like really amazing experience when I was when I was still really quite young that I don't think I would have got if it hadn't been working for my parents so I was really really grateful for that. You must have seen all aspects of the business as well like you say from you know doing the flyers to delivering them to then yeah dealing with clients it's must have been um, yeah quite an eye-opener. And speaking from experience of working with my family in a business, it's tough. I don't know if your family are the same, but there are, there are many are an argument that you have with your family in business that you, you probably wouldn't hear in your professional life. <laughs> but maybe that was just my family. Well, I think because I was quite young, we perhaps didn't have some of those conflicts that yeah. you might be referring to that I'm, I'm more familiar with looking at other people that I know who work in family businesses. But I think it was more just the aspect that, you know, it, it was kind of ever present. You know, often I was in the office with my parents working. And also then that work would come home because there's the work that you're doing for your clients. But then there's all the other work that mm -hmm. needs to happen to actually yeah. run the business. And, and that was happening on our dining room table. The behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. And I think that's been quite a good thing for me to have experienced now that I'm working for myself and seeing some of those different components. It's, it's a very different kind of business, obviously, but um, it, yeah, it definitely gave me a really good exposure to knowing a bit of what to expect. Yeah. Um, because it's very different <laughs> working for yourself than it is obviously working for a, a company. And for any youngsters out there who are keen to embark on a career in insights, uh, what advice would you give to them? Well, get your folding game yeah. in order first. <laughs> yeah, and build exactly. from there. 
<laughs> be prepared to work your way up. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, also, I would say, you know, I, I, I do believe in that, actually. You know, you have to start somewhere and you have to get involved and learn. But I would really encourage everyone to like put their hand up to try as many new things as possible, partly so you can test out different parts of the industry, but you're also testing for the things that you like and what you enjoy and what you're good at. And, you know, when you're doing that, just stay really curious, you know, be be kind of open to everything and and also then tell everyone what you're working on and what you enjoy about it. Because I think that was something that I found the more I talked about the things that I wanted to do, the more some of those opportunities just somehow found their way towards me. So, mm. you know, be be curious and open with what your ambitions are, I think is um, is really important, particularly at the early stages. We will come back to the serious questions, Lara, but you mentioned crisps, salt and vinegar versus <laughs> cheese and onion, oh. which for some of us is an essential battle for on a daily basis. Salt and vinegar or cheese and onion, which direction would you go? 100% salt and vinegar. That was uh, no mistake that I mentioned that first. Right. Okay. <laughs> and a particular brand? Not a particular brand of salt and vinegar, but I do like one that's got a real tang to it. So it could be like discos. Yeah. They I often knew you were have say like discos. a real tang. Take, could, they take the roof of your mouth. I feel my jets going. <laughs> I was going to say, take the roof of your mouth off. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's not salt and vinegar, but it's in a similar category. And it's not a highbrow crisp, but I am partial to a pickled onion monster munch. Oh, no, that's a good choice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, mm. but again, you've got to be careful with those consumed in the wrong way. You are causing yourself problems. <laughs> what, is, what, is, what is crisp culture like in, in Bahrain then? I mean, are you sort of getting knickknacks on the black market or <laughs> can you just get skips in the local shop? No, do you know what? You can get pretty much everything... You know, they import a lot of British products. There are a lot of British expats here. So I can even get pickled onion monster munch, believe it or not. Because if you're, if you're from Bahrain and you see pickled onion monster munch, <laughs> and you're like, this, this country, this, this, this United Kingdom, this Great Britain that holds itself up as being, you know, just thinking, and, and this is what we've got from there. This is what it produces. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. It's kind of wild when you put it like that. <laughs> but you know what I love is actually there's all sorts of, because there's so many different nationalities that live here, the supermarkets are actually stocked with products from all countries all over the world. You know, so sometimes, you know, we pick up some different things and, and sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't work well. I remember picking up um we were having a Chinese meal and I picked up what I thought was prawn crackers and it was this absolutely revolting, fake prawn tasting <laughs> kind of uh, cardboard slash polyester thing. Big mistake. Didn't buy that ever again. Um, but the choice is there. And that's that's one of the things that I love that you can kind of experiment with. I guess, yeah, that's kind of it's opened up your, your eyes to a whole new cuisine, I suppose, as well from everything that's available there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, lot obviously lots of Middle Eastern food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of Lebanese and, you know, uh, Iranian and, you know, all, all those kind of delicious foods and flavours, but also kind of everything that you would expect to get, you know, Italian, Spanish, there's, there's everything. And how long ago did you move over there then, Lara? It is 
almost three years ago now, which, you know, seems to have gone in the blink of an eye, you know, when we took this maybe slightly crazy decision that even in the middle of COVID that we were going to just, yeah, go ahead with it because why not? We, we've been talking about moving abroad for ages and now here it is. Here's the opportunity. The world is in complete, you know, meltdown and crisis, but we'll figure it out. What's the worst that can happen? It's been fantastic. It's such a welcoming, lovely culture. And yeah, I think we both felt very at home here very quickly, which which really helps when you're, you're kind of moving to a different part of the world. Yeah, of course. And it, it allows you to still run your own business from there as well, which is amazing. Yes, exactly. I, I think that is, for me, one of the kind of legacy benefits of the pandemic, that everyone is so open to working with people in a virtual way. Um, mm-hmm. that kind of starting my business from here and doing pretty much everything virtually has not had any challenges whatsoever. And I think if it had been a few years before that, I'm I'm not sure I would have found it as easy to do what I'm doing now. And if Bahrain is today, tell us, take us all the way back, Laura, like where did you grow up and, and, and what was that like? What was your, your childhood like? So very different. Uh, so I grew up from around the age of four. We lived in Sandhurst in Berkshire. And Sandhurst is often known for being the place where the officers training academy is uh, for the army. We had no connection to it, but we, we lived in the, the town. Very, you know, sweet little place to live. I would say it was a, a calm very pleasant upbringing. You know, I had, uh, you know, lots of opportunity to go outside and play with friends who lived in, you know, the neighbouring streets around us. You know, I remember lots of time kind of out on the bikes and climbing up trees, fun stuff like that. But yeah, by the time I, by the time I reached my teenage years, and was kind of looking towards going away to uni, I was kind of a bit a bit desperate to get somewhere that had a bit more going on. But yeah, it was a great place to grow up as a kid. And are your family still there? They're not, actually. So my mum and dad live in Estepona in Spain. So it's on the Costa del Sol, not too far from Marbella. And my brother, kind of all over the place, but he he has a base in, in London. He travels a lot for his work. Okay. Oh, so yeah, so you're all quite scattered then. Yeah, so it's it is one of the things that I kind of would love to be able to do a bit more of is to get all of the family together. Um, but by the nature of us all living in different countries, that is obviously not always that easy. Yeah, of course. But you know, when we when we do make it happen, we make the best of it. Yeah, and have that real quality time together. Yeah, exactly. Can you tell us a bit about your career with regards to what's been your best moment in research Mm, my best moment in research I'm not sure I can really just pick one I think there are lots of moments where I have really felt like the work that I've put in and the effort that I've made has really kind of 
paid off. Um, I guess if I kind of track that back to, you know, one of my early memories, you know, when I first started out at World Panel, one of the things that they did was in order to kind of progress off of the grad scheme was you had to pass like a, a promotion board that had various different aspects to it. And only a certain, you know, there was like a cutoff, only like 75% of people were going to make it. And I didn't make it the first time. And that was honestly one of the most shocking things to me because I'd always been someone who'd, you know, done really well at school and at uni and... Selling houses when you were 16. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly, you know. And, and honestly, it was, it was a real shock and it made a, a huge, huge, huge dent in my confidence. But I think the reason that that then became one of the best moments for me was because then I very had to, had to kind of humbly look at, well, what were the areas that I didn't match up? And I was really lucky in that at that time I moved into a new team. I had a new boss. I got given some mentors and then really focused on doing the work to bring myself up to the level that was needed. And by the time I then did pass that promotion, it was like, oh, wow, like this feels amazing. Because I also really believed it at that point. You know, I knew I'd really focus on all the areas that I needed to work on. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just knew it in myself that I was, you know, hitting the required level in order to earn the promotion that I was going for. So it, it kind of became something that was really meaningful to me out of something that was initially like really humiliating and, and painful. And I suppose with that, what would you say has been the worst moment? I mean, again, I, I could sit here all day and tell you about loads of things. <laughs> um, I mean, please I think, do. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly makes me feel better. <laughs> We, we've got loads too, Lara, don't worry. <laughs> and, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Everybody does. And it's, it is just part of, you know, having a, a, a wide and varied career, you know. I think one of the worst was probably when I was working at Hive and we had an intern who joined us for the summer. And she was fantastic. She was really, really, really good. And I was getting her to support me on a DIY project that we were doing. I think and... in your house. It's like, you're an intern. Oh, I need no. some, some walls painted. <laughs> in the end, we, we locked her in for three days, forgot about her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, she was so brilliant at everything. I have no doubt she would have been fantastic at that if I had been such a cruel boss to do such a thing. <laughs> I need, um, if she's still there, I need some panelling good. Yeah, I was going to say, like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. So you've been here six months, you're doing really well, Claire. And I just wonder, how, how, how good are you at grouting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Laura, go on. Uh, But yeah, I mean, a DIY research project. So we, we weren't working with an agency. It was just something that was fairly small. We had a, a small subset of customers that we wanted to do um, a survey with. It was something that we did quite commonly at Hive because, you know, it was a startup, so Sometimes with the bigger projects, we'd partner with agencies. Other times we'd do things ourselves. And I was getting her to help me with this. And I, I got her to send out the invitation to take part in this survey to hundreds of customers. And the 
thing that I did wrong was I didn't tell her very explicitly to put all of those emails in a BCC line. So all of these customers <laughs> all got each other's emails. Uh, you know, typical thing, I think it was a probably a Friday afternoon, trying to kind of rush to get it done before the end of the week. Just, you know, bad, bad, bad idea. It would have been bad anyway, but it was around the time that all the GDPR uh, regulations had just come in. So all customers, all consumers were like super hot on all this stuff. And um, it was one of those real like, oh, shit moments. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and you might have read about this in in, in the Guardian or, or somewhere, but Lara said I've had to come to Bahrain because of my husband. That's not actually true. Yeah, she had to get out the of the UK. <laughs> the intern is in HMP Holloway still. <laughs> but don't. But, but it, it, it it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. It's all good. Oh. Uh, but yeah, it was that horrible like oh shit moment when when this she, send she pressed send yeah. and I knew that it was a huge problem um but and I had told her what to do but fortunately we had an amazing 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 legal team and they they literally sat just on the other side of of the office so I ran over there and the poor guy, right, he's there, you know, watching a sneaky bit of cricket on Friday afternoon, <laughs> just waiting until <laughs> waiting until he could go home. And I was like, stop everything. I need your help. We've just sent hundreds of email talks. And, and they were brilliant. They really kind of just guided us through what to do. Um, and, you know, even though I kind of repeatedly told the intern, you know, that it was my fault. It wasn't hers. I was the one who had to take responsibility for it. I know, you know, she took a lot of pride in her work and, and it, it, it was a tough thing for her to deal with. And, you know, I wouldn't have wanted anyone, you know, at such an early stage in their career, you know, to have to experience something like that. So it definitely wasn't a, a great introduction. So I would say that was one of my worst moment i think we've all been there though with something like that no, that's really bad <laughs> we have we normally you normally ask a final question don't you which is, is there anybody that you you'd like to say thank you or sorry to well i think we found the person that lara should want to say sorry to so we won't, we won't bother asking that that question this time around. oh no it is such an awful feeling and it's always on a friday afternoon as well when you think it's nice. We're going to wind down nice and early for the weekend. No, something like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It was like, quick, quick, let's get this done. And yeah. then, you know, we can all head off and, you know, enjoy ourselves. I'm sure you toughened the intern up for, you know, for the real world. So don't worry, Lara. And well, yeah. some, there, there's some the people, gift, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was your, your equivalent to leaflet folding for her. <laughs> Yeah, true, true. So now I feel good. I can come back from Bahrain after all. <laughs> it's fine. We've cleared it with the legal team. So, Rich, Lara and I have been emailing before this chat slightly, um, you know, about food. And Lara, I'm keen to ask you to talk us through your ideal breakfast, please. Mm. Oh, my God. I love my <laughs> ideal breakfast. It's so simple. It is literally just boiled egg and soldiers but I really do think it is the best breakfast 
It is simple to make. It is delicious. You get the hard bit of the egg. You get the runny bit of the egg that you can dip the toast in. Because of that, it's fun. You know, there's, there's not yeah. many breakfasts where you can have so much fun with them. That's partly what I love about this one. And also my husband cooks the eggs just perfectly. So I can't even take the credit for cooking them myself. I'm a real spoiled princess when it comes to comes to my egg and soldiers breakfast. My wife is mad about eggs. And she also lies awake at three o'clock in the morning buying stuff on Amazon that you just don't need. But one of those things was a special tool for taking the top off the <gasps> boiled egg with a minimum of fuss. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so no more burnt fingers. Yeah. And just a, a very nice, you it's know, a clean, smooth, yeah, nice clean incision. <laughs> it sort, of, it sort oh. of sits on the top and it sort of twists and, and, just, and just takes oh, it. So ne- there's takes no it involvement of the teaspoon, the tapper tapper. <laughs> That, if you want to do it, is for sort of old time's sake and fun. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily need to to do that, I don't think. It would do a lot of the legwork for you. Yeah. yeah worth, worth, worth looking into. Yeah. Mm, well, that's also a great got a special tip. Thank you for, for sharing that. There we well, go. Well, another top tip is, and I, you know, uh, I rolled my eyes at this when it arrived, but a special little cl- like clipper for just yeah. taking the, 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 little, the little green bit out of a strawberry. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. oh like the top, the top off. Exactly. <laughs> the top of a strawberry. Just take that, that, just that little top of a strawberry. It's game changing. It really is. Get on well, because then you don't have to lose the top part of the strawberry yeah. by cutting a bit off. You yeah. literally just take off the bit that you don't want and have. It is one of those tools as well. You think this won't do what it's supposed to do. It'll be more effort than just using a knife. No. It's brilliant. Okay. So if yeah. we're awake at 3 a.m., we know what to look for. What to look for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have a good look. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, I love that. What about, um, are you a sweet or savoury fan, Lara? Well, it kind of depends on my mood. Mm-hmm. I uh, I do love a good crisp, as yeah. uh, as we've already touched on, and that probably would be my, my kind of go-to savoury item. But, you know, I do love to finish a meal with a little, a little something sweet. What would be your go-to kind of dessert then? Go-to dessert, I would say, is a New York cheesecake. Good choice. (laughs) Probably with some kind of either passion fruit or raspberry coulis to accompany it. Um, That that is a really good one. But I also love a good carrot cake. Not strictly dessert. No, no, no. But it's still sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's a a favourite of mine. It's a strong choice. It is a strong choice. And we're running out of time. Uh, and I was thinking that when Lara came on the line, Tilly, mm. she uh, inadvertently heard us talking about murder. So what I was wondering is, Lara, do you think you could get away with a murder? No. I mean, <laughs> categorically not. I do not think I would be able to get away with one. Even just the thought of it just makes me so sick. And I think I would be so physically unwell that I wouldn't be able to, you know, cover up what i needed to do uh in order well, look, i think to you know you need to be you need to be less less harsh on yourself and maybe you've got murderer imposter syndrome <laughs> if you think about the way that you've applied yourself to all these different jobs whether it's folding paper selling houses insight coaching you know don't undersell yourself i think if you committed a murder you'd get away with it <laughs> well Why not? Th- th- thank you for your belief in me <laughs> no problem <laughs> 
So a, a question we like to finish on, Lara, is if you could say thank you or sorry to someone, uh, who would it be and what would you say? Well, I mean, obviously the apologies we've already said must yeah. go to the intern for that uh, <laughs> dreadful work experience I who's gave still, Who's still in prison. <laughs> who's, yeah, still scarred by it forevermore. We'll try and get um, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would actually say... Thank you and sorry to my husband. You know, thank you for his, you know, unwavering support and encouragement and belief in me as I've embarked on working for myself and, and, you know, branching into the coaching world. And also sorry because, you know, sometimes I... I'm a bit too focused on the work that I do. I'm a famous one for saying... I've just got to finish this email. I'll just be five minutes. And then half an hour or an hour later, I'm still tinkering with something. Um, and his, his patience when I am, you know, doing that kind of thing is immense. So, um, yeah, sorry for that bad behavior, but thank you for putting up with me. And thank you for the eggs as well. And thank you for the eggs. Yeah, thank yeah. you for so much. <laughs> he sounds like a good a good husband to me. Yeah, um, he, he is a good egg. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that. <laughs> Lovely. And thank you so much for joining us today. We do appreciate you taking time out of your, your busy schedule because I know that you are a busy lady doing so much. So, yeah, we're, we're very grateful to you for joining us today. Thank you. Oh, well, it, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you both. And, you know, I've loved the fact that we've covered <laughs> huge, wide ranging topics and just laughed so much. I know. I, I think you. that's fabulous. So thank you for having me on. I really, really oh. have loved the chat with you both. We must say a massive thank you to Lara for taking the time out of uh, her busy schedule to be with us today. We have really had a great morning with her. Do join us next time where we're joined by guest. Judith Stagg, who is a content creator. She works within the market research and insights sector. You will not want to miss this one. See you then. Bye.